your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. It gives me great pleasure right now, loved ones, to introduce to you our guest preacher today. And I say that word, a guest, pretty loosely. Uh, he is no stranger to our church here at Hope, Ottawa. He has been here a number of times, elder installation and preaching here and visiting here. Um, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce my, my dear friend and mentor, Pastor Earl Marshall from Hope Bible Church, Oakville, where he serves as the pastor of training and discipleship. And Pastor Earl and his wife Brenda are here, and I just they've been such a support to our family personally, but also to this church. For many of you who don't know, uh, Pastor Earl and I, we talk weekly and we pray weekly for all of you together. And uh, I'm just so thankful he, in many ways, um, was very instrumental in me learning how to preach. And he taught me that in Chicago and walked me through this crazy church planting journey, and I'm very thankful to the Lord for you, Earl, and for you, Brenda, and so I would like to pray for you, and then we'll come up, and we'd love to hear from the Lord. Father, I want to thank you for my dear friend. I want to thank you for uh, Earl and the years that we have had to minister together. Lord, I thank you for his love for your word, and I pray right now you would fill him, Holy Spirit. You would fill him with power. You would fill him with clarity. You would anoint his lips. And you would speak so specifically to us tonight. I pray you would remove distraction. I pray we would be attentive. And as Peter says, we would do well to listen faithfully to this word tonight. And so Jesus, be exalted, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's give Pastor Earl a warm Hope Ottawa welcome. Thank you, Pastor Ray. Appreciate that very much. Happy anniversary, Hope. Yeah, I've got to say that. You know, five is a big deal, right? Two's not, you know, two's a big deal, two, three's a big deal. But when you, every year, you know, it's like five's important, ten's important, fifteen's important. So this is a significant milestone, five years. And a lot has happened in the life of this church. God has just been amazingly blessing you as we've been praying even before the service of just thinking about God's steadfast love, his faithfulness. You can all attribute to that individually in your own lives, but just think about collectively as a life of the church and how God is just doing some great things. So I, I know this is like Saturday night service and you do this every week, but there is something unique about what's happening tonight, right? So why don't we just, why don't you just stand and give a cheer? Some of you just, can I just stand and, why don't we just cheer together? Can we do that? Let's just say, Lord, thank you so much. Yes. That's right. That's, that's good. It's good to praise the Lord. Good to praise the Lord, right? Excellent. Great. Yes. Right? We can't. You know, there's so many things we can cheer for, but why not cheer for something awesome like Jesus building his church, right? So 
That's fantastic. So good to be with you. I send greetings to you from uh, the rest of the elder team who can't be here tonight. They're in Oakville, and uh, they want me to say hi to you and let you know that they are regularly praying for you and, um, you know, just continue to pray for them and us as a team as we work with Ray and Kevin and try to, you know, just give as best as possible uh, spiritual leadership to the life of this church. So continue to pray for us. Brenda, my wife is with me, and we're both really thankful to be here. We're actually very honored to be here tonight. Uh, Ray, as Ray's already alluded to, we spend most Tuesday afternoons from four to five. Okay, so if you really want to pray hard, pray hard Tuesday afternoon, four to five. I call those my Tuesdays with Ray. All right, Tuesdays with Ray. So we've got probably three years now of doing that, you know, so um, praise the Lord that we've been able to do that and journey together, and uh, so uh, as much as I'm hopeful that I'm encouraging you, I know you are encouraging me as well, and uh, the times when you need me to be encouraged, I try to encourage you, and the times I need to be encouraged, you're encouraging me, so I'm so thankful to, for, to the Lord for that, so God is so, so good. I hope you've got your Bibles. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9 tonight, and actually what I'd like us to do is I just, I'd like to read the passage for you, um, and then I'm going to pray, okay? I'm going to pray for us as we kind of go through this. So look at, let's look at Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Let's pray together. Father, we are so, so grateful for your word that you have chosen over the years of human history to restore these stories. This is your word to us, your message to us. And so tonight, as we think about this one story, one that you have memorialized for all time, God, as we think of this story, would you please, please penetrate our hearts and teach us how to truly worship you. We have so much to celebrate tonight, so much to be joyful for. Lord, may we not miss this opportunity and give all the praise to you. This is not about us. Yes, five years is a great milestone. Lord, we've, we have many people in this room have poured lots of energy into this last five years, but it is not about us. It is all you. And so, Lord, we want to learn how to praise you like this woman did. 
Teach us how to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're here, we're Mark chapter 14, verses uh, 3 through 9, and we are looking at a, uh, a time period where we're turning our attention to Bethany in the town of Bethany, which is right, an episode right before the, the Passover, before Jesus dies. And you'll see here in Mark chapter 14, there's a context that's kind of established where it's always important to see where the paragraph fits right within the story. There's a story here, but there's also a story before this one, and there's a story after this one. If you look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 2, you'll see that it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. So in verses 1 and 2, you have uh, people who are out to get Jesus. Now look at verse 10, the story that happens after the one that we're going to look at tonight. Verse 10, it says, then Judas Iscariot, right after this story about Mary, it says, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. So on both sides of this story that we're going to look at tonight, are people who are trying to get Jesus. They want to arrest him. They want to see him die. Judas wants to betray him. And yet in the middle of these two, what I would call betrayal episodes, or trying to get Jesus or make sure that he doesn't, isn't able to live any longer, you have this woman who is worshiping and praising Jesus. People hate Jesus. This man doesn't want, he was going about to betray Jesus. And here's Mary who wants to celebrate Jesus. When you think about the sequence of that in the Gospel of Mark, you begin to realize that Mark is trying to draw attention to what this woman is doing. Right? These men want nothing to do with Jesus. This one wants to betray Jesus. And yet this one, this one, this woman understands the value of Jesus. Um, it says here in Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 3, that while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came in with an alabaster flask of ointment. You'll see that there's this woman who's celebrating Jesus at Simon the leper's house, obviously not presently a leper, because you couldn't do that, or you wouldn't do that, and you couldn't do that according to Jewish law. There, this, there's a man who's called Simon the leper who has obviously been healed of his leprosy. We would, should assume that probably Jesus is the one that actually did heal him from his leprosy. And so they're there at this house to celebrate Jesus. Now, in your series in the Gospel of John, you've gone through the parallel story in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Why don't we put that on the screen uh, right now? We see in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that it fills in a little more information for us as we begin to look at Mark chapter 14. It says here in John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
So here's the parallel story. It gives us a little more information for us to understand what's happening in Mark chapter 14. Here you see six days before the Passover, he's come to, the, to this home, and Lazarus is there because he's been raised from the dead, right? What an amazing story that was, right? Raised from the dead. The disciples are there. Martha's there doing what she does, serving, and Mary is there doing what she does. She's the actual woman that's not, not mentioned in Mark chapter 14, but we know that it is Mary, the sister of Martha, is there. And they gave a dinner for him there. He's, Jesus is the guest of honor. There's this appreciation dinner given to Jesus. You say, well, why were they giving an appreciation dinner to Jesus? Well, because in John chapter 11, he stood outside the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. Now, I don't know about you, but if you had a dead relative in a tomb and some person came outside the tomb and said, hey, come out, and they actually came out of the tomb, I'm guessing the least that you could do is throw an appreciation dinner. Right? They're like, they're like, they're, they're celebrating. This house is, you, you can see this, this house is full of joy. It's full of celebration. It's full of love towards Jesus. And for Mary, this woman in Mark chapter 14, for Mary, the mood in this house is that Jesus is worthy of worship. And so I say to you, as we look at this story tonight, this should also be the mood in our house tonight of joy and celebration and love towards Jesus because he truly is worthy of our worship. You think of five years in your life, the last five years in your life, and you look back at the steadfast love and faithfulness of Jesus Christ to you. Come on, just think about it. Just think about the last five years. Brendan and I, could, he could tell you stories of the last five years. We could tell you about all the ups and all the downs, and yet to, in the midst of all the ups and the downs, there's this one constant, the faithfulness and the steadfast love of Jesus Christ. You think of the last five years in the life of this church, right? Lots of ups, lots of downs. You've had to change locations. You've had people have probably come and gone in the life of this church. There's been pain. There's been joy. There's been sorrow. There's been celebration. There's been all, and yet in the midst of all of it, in the midst of all of it, there's been the steadfast love and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Lives have been changed here. Families have been transformed here. Marriages have been changed here. Not because of us but because of the steadfast love and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So the mood in this house tonight, right? The mood in this house tonight has got to be Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. You hear amen? amen? All right. So I want to tell you that as we progress through this story tonight, I want you to see in Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 8, that when Jesus becomes invaluable to you, when he becomes priceless, precious, when you begin to treasure him, your worship of him will become incredible. I want you to note this, that Jesus is not just worthy of worship, he's actually worthy of extravagant worship. 
Look at verses 3 through 5. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the lepers, he was reclining at table. This woman, Mary, came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and she poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why has the ointment been wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, it says, in verses 3 through 5. Now, what do we learn about Mary's worship here in verse 3? What do we learn about it? We learned, here's the first thing we learned. It was expensive. It was costly. Mark goes out of his way to tell us these two words. It was very costly. Very costly. It was an imported perfume, probably from India, it had the street value of 300 denarii. Now, for most of us in this room, that doesn't mean anything, like 300 denarii. What's that? Well, that's, just think about a year's worth of wages. Okay, for the normal person during this time period, that would be like what they would make in a whole year. That's how much that alabaster flask of oil costs, that, that little container that had a thin neck in it. There was a little, this amount of oil that was in that, that had been imported. It cost about a year's worth of wages. It was very costly. We don't know where she got it from. We don't know if it was a family heirloom that had been passed down to her. It may very well have been that. Uh, we don't know if it was part of her dowry. We don't know if it was, did they all pitch in and they buy it for her? We have no idea. All we know, and Mark tells us, it's very expensive. It was very costly. And so not only was it expensive, it, what she's about to do is very sacrificial. It's sacrificial. It's not, this is not only expensive, but it's going to cost her something. Right? A year's worth of wages. It's costing her something. And then we note this. It's also excessive or Elaborate. She poured it on his head, it says. Now, that's not unusual. Um, back then, it would not be unusual to anoint the head of the guest of honor. I love how it says in Psalm 23, verse 5, that you anoint my head with oil. He says he talks about laying out a banqueting table in the presence of my enemies. And then it goes on in chapter 23, verse 5. It says, you anoint my head with oil. And you go, well, what's going on there? Well, what God is saying, what the psalmist is saying, is that what God does, in, even in the midst of the most difficult times, he gives you this banqueting table of his presence, and he makes you the guest of honor at the table. He anoints your head with oil. And that's what's happening here. She's anointing his head, but not, she's not just dropping a drop on his head. She's like pours, she breaks the neck of the alabaster flask, and she pours the whole thing all over his head. John 12 tells us that it flowed down to his feet, and she used his hair, her hair, to wipe it with, wipe the oil on his feet. There's a totality, there's a completeness to this. It's like from head to toe. Did you see it? The oil flowed from Jesus' head right down to his toes. It was, it was all over him. There's, it's like she's not holding anything back. Not holding anything back. There's full-out honor, full-out celebration, full-out worship of Jesus. Now, how often do you and I worship Jesus like that? 
How often do we worship Jesus like that in a in an extravagant, an elaborate, a sacrificial, a costly way. She's, she's not holding anything back. You say, well, I'm, I'm an introvert, man. I can't, I don't, I don't do that. Well, I'm an introvert too. Many of you might not know that, but if you got to meet me for about like two minutes, you would understand that that's true. I'm an introvert, okay? Pastor Ray is not as introverted as I am. Okay, we're very different. We have different personalities. That's what makes us makes it work, you know, kind of thing. And so I, I know I'm introverted, but it's just not about personality. Okay, being, being extravagant in our worship towards Jesus is not about personality at all. In fact, I would suggest to you what it means is, is, is bring your worship to the limit of your personality and maybe even a step beyond that. Right? If you're an introvert, you don't have to worship like an extrovert. If you're an extrovert, you don't have to worship like an introvert. Just please, please bring it all to Jesus. And just remember this. In heaven, everybody is doing extravagant worship. Nobody's standing around wondering whether this is extravagant or not. nobody's, Nobody's like holding back. Everybody is just into extravagant worship. You just read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. There's no holding back towards Jesus. You see, she is committed to this extravagant worship, and it's interesting, she gives this extravagant worship to Jesus, and when she does that, she's condemned. You see that in in verses 4 and 5. Let me read those verses for you again. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the anointment, w- ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they what? They scolded her. They condemned her. She's, she's like full out, expressing her worship to the Lord. And the other disciples are looking at her and going, what are you doing? Stop it. Just, just stop it. In fact, they, they see it as wasteful. I mean, why, why are you wasting the ointment like that? They get indignant. They get angry at her. And, and under the disguise of wisdom, they express condemnation. It's true. It's true. She could have sold that ointment and taken the 300 denarii and gave it to the poor. That's happened a lot at Passover time. They were encouraged to give uh, almsgiving to the poor. They were encouraged to do that. She could have done that, but, and, and they scold her. They actually literally, the word means they snort like horses at her. I don't have to do that for you to get, you to get a sense of what that looks like. Snorting like a horse. They snorted, like, they snorted at her. What are you doing? And when I, when I read these verses, I think to myself, am I more like Mary or am I more like the disciples? Mary, who's full out, no holding back, extravagant in her worship of Jesus, or am I, I like the disciples who don't see worship at all? They don't, they don't see worship at all. All they see is waste, a lack of wisdom, and, and waste on her behalf. This is not the first time that 
situations like this have been introduced in the Gospels. In fact, if you look at Mark chapter 12, verse 44, when Jesus is sitting with his disciples outside the temple, and this widow comes, and she drops these two little coins into the temple treasury, there are others, these other rich people who are dropping in larger amounts into temple treasury, and Jesus says this about her. She says, she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And I can remember the first time I read this story, the, my, the first recollection of this story, I can remember, I can remember saying to myself, well, that, that, that doesn't sound very wise to me. Like she's got, I mean, that's it. That's all she had. I mean, why would she do that? I mean, if she dropped that in the temple, like how is she going to eat? What's she going to do? What, what, what about her retirement fund? What about her like, you know, you can just kind of go on and on and on. What about, what about, what about, what about? And yet, and yet, that's what she did. And Jesus sits there and watches her and commends her for, for her giving. And I'm left with this question. Is that, was that, is that wise? Is that wasteful? Or is that worship? Or what about Jesus' challenge to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 21? When he, set, when he comes and he asks the question, what must I do to have eternal life? And they talk about some different, and Jesus said, you know, there's one thing, one thing that you lack. He says, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Really? I know that's the question he's asking. Really? You want me to sell, to sell everything that I have? And give it to the poor. You say, you're saying, did Jesus really want him to do that? Did Jesus really? Well, he asked him. He told him to do that. Why? Because that thing was in the way of his ability to truly follow Jesus. He had to be able to surrender that to uh, surrender that so that he could truly follow Jesus. And yet, and yet, and yet, I, you know, some of us we look at that and we go, really, Lord, really, Lord, is that really wise? Is that really, is that really wise? Is that really worship? Well, here's, here's one, here's one, here's a one that's a, an older example as well. Here's Adoniram Judson's letter to his father-in-law. I love this letter. This is amazing. This is probably, if some of you are, are about to, you know, talk to your future father-in-law and wondering about, you know, whether you're going to marry somebody, you probably don't want to lead with a letter like this. But this is, this is the letter that he led with. He says, uh, this is, he's about just a, a few weeks before he wants to get married. It's in the year 1812, uh, two weeks after they're married. They sail off to India and then to Burma, and of course, things don't go that well. So here's the letter that he writes to his father-in-law. He says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. <laughs> it's like, oh, Sure. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this 
in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness, brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Put yourself in the shoes of, the, of that father-in-law. How are you going to respond to that letter? Thank God for Adoniram Judson. The whole movement of churches were planted in that area of the world that, that, that God used that man and, and his wife to see many, not, not a lot of fruit at the beginning, but I mean, over the years, fruit has been established. A seed was sown. You see, sometimes extravagant worship like that, a willingness to even sacrifice their own lives for the sake of the gospel, that's extravagant worship. Sometimes extravagant worship is misunderstood and condemned. Are you more like Mary or more like the disciples? There is a need for wisdom, yes, big time need for wisdom, but, time, but there are times that we use wisdom as a disguise for the idols that we worship. Idols that we worship that we hope will bring us security, significance, acceptance, love, and meaning in our lives. And hey, hey, only Jesus gives that to you. We celebrate Jesus with an extravagant worship. If the Lord is calling you to something and somewhere and someplace, and, and, and that's affirmed by the life of, the, of the, your, the community of faith that you are in, that's affirmed. Listen, don't, don't back away from that. Like, listen, 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 follow Jesus. The question really for us is, is why aren't more of us worshiping Jesus like Mary? Where does this extravagant worship come from? Well, look at verses 6 through 8 of Mark chapter 14. It says in verse 6, it says, But Jesus said, after they scolded her, he said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always had the poor with you, and whatever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Where does this... Where does her response of this extravagant worship come from? It comes from her having an all-encompassing worth of Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus is invaluable to you, your worship becomes incredible. Jesus rebukes his disciples in verse 6. He says, leave her alone. Don't trouble her. Stop bothering her. And not only that, he goes on in verse 6, and he says this amazing thing. He says, you have done a beautiful thing to me. Now, I, I don't know about you, but my soul thirsts to know that I, what I am doing even right now is a beautiful thing to my Lord. I had this thirst, I had this hunger. I hope you have the same kind of thirst and the same kind of hunger that the life that you are living is one that is a beautiful thing to the Lord. Is that, that's just amazing. That word beautiful means pure, it means noble, it means perfect, it means complete. And Jesus says to the disciples, don't stop her. In fact, what he's really saying, he's implying is, this is what you should be doing. 
What is it that makes this so beautiful to Jesus? It's not, I would suggest to you, it's not always the cost of the sacrifice. It's not because she's pouring out an expensive oil on Jesus. It's not always the size of the check, but it's your heart. You see, her worship reveals that Jesus is her priority. It says that in verse 7. You always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Jesus is not against the poor. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The Scriptures clearly tell us that God loves the poor, and he calls us to care for the poor. The point that Jesus is making here is that Jesus had become her priority. She has made me her priority. There's this play on words when he's saying, now, you know, you're not always going to have me. You're always going to have the poor. What he's trying to say is, you've got to make me your priority. And that's at the core of why her act of worship is so beautiful to Jesus, because she said, you're number one. Nothing else compares. You're it, Jesus. I can just see, I can just almost feel inside of her heart the rush in her to want to please Jesus because as far as she's concerned, everything else pales in comparison. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's beautiful because Jesus is her priority. And, and you know, I don't, I'm not overly surprised that Jesus is her priority. I'm not surprised that she has great affection for Jesus and great wonder towards Jesus or thankfulness for Jesus. She, I mean, she's experienced the grace and the mercy of Jesus in her life. She, as a disciple, um, sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. You know that famous story about Mary and Martha, you know, she's sitting at his feet listening to his teaching as one of the disciples. She loved Jesus. She had this unique relationship with him. She loved him. He loved, he loved her. She had then also experienced the power of Jesus in, in the resurrection of her brother walking out of the tomb. And I'm putting all that together, and I'm going, man, like, I mean, that's got to, wow. That's got to make you think, man, that, I'm putting everything there in Jesus. But remember, all the other disciples experienced the exact same thing. They were there when Lazarus came out of the tomb. They were there when Jesus was doing his teaching. They had all had their encounters with Jesus. I think about Peter's encounter with Jesus and how he just it moved him to the core. You know, I, I, I'm a sinner. I can't, I, I can't even be in your presence. They had all experienced the exact same things, but not everybody's responding the same way. There's a danger here. Okay? There's a danger here for us. Jesus is everything to her because he is her priority. This is what makes her worship beautiful, and it's also beautiful because it says in verse 8 that her worship was not only a priority, it was also preparatory. You see what it says in verse 8? She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, I, I don't know if she knew that what she was doing was actually anointing Jesus' body for 
burial. It may be, I mean, it's not like Jesus didn't talk about the fact that he was going to die, so she would have been aware of that. We don't know if she knew that. What I do know is that Jesus knew that. When Jesus sees what she's doing, he sees the hand of God in what she is doing, that, that she is actually preparing his body for burial. This is, this is a gospel act. What she's doing is a gospel act. She's, she's looking for what she's doing is pointing us forward to the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. You see, some people, some people admire Jesus, some people appreciate Jesus, some people even respect Jesus. But that, in and of itself, will not lead you to a beautiful, extravagant worship of Jesus. Our hearts have to be full of a delight in Jesus, a devotion to Jesus, a dedication to Jesus. And that will only come out of an all-encompassing worth that we have of Jesus. Remember, not all the disciples who experienced all the same things respond the same way. We have to consistently fight against the good news of Jesus becoming old news about Jesus. Does your heart still leap? Does it still leap when you, when you come to Easter time and you think about the death of Jesus Christ and what that means for you? Does your heart still leap on Easter morning when you consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How about, how about Monday morning? How about Tuesday morning? How about this Wednesday morning? We have to consistently fight. I mean, where would we be without Jesus? Where would you be without Jesus? Where would you be? By the grace of God and faith in Jesus Christ, he's, he's rescued me and he's rescued you from judgment. You think about Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? God's holiness demands a just payment for sin. And guess what? Jesus took your place. He died on the cross and he, he took your place. And by, by the grace of God and by faith in Jesus Christ, that can be true in your life. The cross is a payment for God's holy wrath of sin. He's rescued us from restlessness. No one is righteous. You and I don't have to earn our favor to with God. We don't have to earn our favor with God. You don't have to earn God's favor. He accepts you in Jesus Christ. By his grace, through faith, he accepts you. There's nothing that I can do for God to love me more or love me less. That's amazing. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. He's rescued us. He's saved us to new life. He's saved us to an eternal, into an eternal family. I love the fact that, that now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we, are now, we have now a Father who loves us, who protects us, who provides us, who guides us. I have brothers and sisters from every nation, around every, all the peoples of the earth, that by grace through faith that we share this strong bond. I mean, I can fly to different countries and meet other followers of Jesus Christ, and it's within moments of knowing that that we, can, we have this unique bond with one another. Why is that? Because God's at work in us. 
We have hope. He saved us to hope, to eternity, to the new heavens, to the new earth. He's given us meaning and purpose. We now live on mission for him. In Christ alone, our joy is found. That's the gospel, by grace through faith. Her worship was preparatory. It pointed toward to the gospel. We have to keep reminding ourselves of the gospel. Her worship reminded Jesus of the fact about that he was about to die. It was a remind it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. That's what made her worship beautiful. It was a priority because Jesus was priority. It was preparatory, but it was also very personal. You see there in chapter 14, verse 8, I skipped over it, but the first phrase, she has done what she could. She's done what she could. No hesitation. Right? I don't, I'm not thinking that she went through this massive thought process and took out a piece of paper wrote down the pros and cons of whether she should break the alabaster flask or not. Yeah, it costs a lot of money. Should I do that? Shouldn't I do that? No, no. This is a response to her in, in this moment. There's no hesitation. It's just a complete and total response in her life. She looks around and she grabs the one thing that she believes will express how much she loves Jesus, and she grabs her alabaster flask. So, am I, are you doing what you could? What's your alabaster flask? Think about the last five years of your life. Think about the last five years of this church. What is our response when we come to a milestone like this? There is only one response. Extravagant worship of Jesus. When Jesus becomes invaluable, your worship becomes incredible. What's your alabaster flask? What is it that you can do? Well, this week I was reading through the Psalms again. In my Bible reading, I came to Psalm 96, verses 1 through 6. This is one thing we could do. We're going to do this in just a few minutes. Okay, we, you do this every week when you gather together. But just, just think about it. Just think about it. Let it sink in a little bit deeper for you tonight as you think about our response in worship. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. What, what can I do? What can I do? How can I respond to the awesomeness of Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life? Well, you can sing to the Lord a new song, right? You can sing to the Lord, all the earth, let's do that. Let's bless his name. Let's tell of his salvation every single day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Declare. Let people know. Why? Because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Amen. Yes, he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples. They are worthless idols. That is so true. But the Lord, he made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Yes, they are. So how... How do we do it? What, what can be our alabaster flask? How about we just sing a new song to the Lord, man? Let's get our hearts in the right place and let God know how much we love Jesus Christ. 
We respond to him like that. Or how about Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's my alabaster flask. This week, as I'm going through this passage again, and thinking about what's my alabaster flask, I was reminded again, okay, every single breath of my life, whatever, the, whatever days the Lord gives me past this day, I want it to be for the Lord. Lord, take my life. I want my life to be for you. I want my entire being to be for you. I want... No other testimony left on the face of this earth. I don't want my kids to stand at my funeral and say all these amazing, nice things. I want them to say, he gave his life to Jesus. And as the Lord does, I was also in the book of Acts this week in my devotional time. And I came to Acts chapter 15, verse 26. And I've never actually noticed this verse before. But there were these, it says about how Paul and Barnabas were going down. They were taking this letter on behalf of the Jerusalem Council to the Gentile churches. And it says some other men went, in the, went with them. And it says this, men who risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how they were described. They were described as men who risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Count me in. I'm in. Are you? What's your alabaster flask? All of this leads, all of this leads to this amazing declaration of Jesus in verse 9. An enduring witness. I want you to see this. This This is to me so beautiful. Jesus says this, and truly I say to you in verse 9, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Really? Jesus says, you know, I'm going to memorialize her. That story, everyone's going to remember what Mary did. I'm going to make sure that it's, you know, it's in the word, right? People are going to hear about that, and they're going to continue to remember the testimony of Mary. Now, I know, ultimately, it's all about Jesus, but isn't it interesting to think that Jesus himself actually takes a step back and says, hey, Mary, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to remember you. Jesus loves extravagant, beautiful worship so much that he memorializes it. Jesus loves extravagant worship of him that's a response to the all-encompassing worth of Jesus. I'm telling you, if you worship Jesus like this, he loves it. Absolutely loves it. Jesus is awesome. And when he is invaluable to you, your worship of him, it becomes incredible. And you need to ask yourself this question right now. What is is your alabaster flask? What is it that you're bringing to Jesus as your worship today in response to who he is and what he has done for you, in response to what he's done for you this last five years, in response to what he's done for the life of this church for the last five years? What is your alabaster flask? 
See, when Jesus is invaluable, truly your worship of him will become incredible. Don't hesitate. Mary didn't. She didn't hesitate. She grabbed it and she broke it and she poured it all over Jesus. And I want to suggest you to do the exact same thing. What is your alabaster flask? Don't hesitate, even as we sing together to close our service. Let's pour out our worship of Jesus towards him. Let's just pour it out together. Can we do that? Can we just pour it out together? Okay, let's just pray. Let's just pray together right now. Father, Spirit, I pray so much. Pray so much right now, Father, that, and, and with, a, with a sense of great urgency for my own life. Lord, that I would not miss this moment to, pour, to just say to you that I want to bring this alabaster flask of my life to you in response to what you have done for me these last five years, in response to what you've done for the church I'm part of the last five years, in response to what's happening here in Ottawa, Lord. I just, I, we want to give you praise. Forgive us for holding back. Forgive us, Lord, for not bringing always beautiful worship towards you. Help us, Lord, to, to think of the example of Mary, Lord, and would it lead us to worship Jesus Christ in a way that he truly deserves. May this not be about us. May it be about him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.